Listener Production. April Helene Horton is the Bodzilla, an online moniker that has won tens of thousands of social media fans, thanks to April's loud and proud revolutionising of beauty standards. April not only reveals the absence of diverse bodies in the Australian media, but she is also part of the solution. She was the first plus-size model to appear in a bikini as part of a major Australian advertising campaign. Of that experience of seeing herself up there on a billboard, April has said, I was the first fat chick on a billboard and I don't want to be the last. Amen. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next, we'll have The Weekend List where Bron and I recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to this weekend. But first, here is my conversation with April Helene Horton, the Bodzilla. April, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. How are you doing? I am doing good. All the better for seeing you. Oh, you're so lovely. Now, I first met you, not in person, but because I was following slash stalking you on Instagram. And that is how a lot of our listeners are going to know you. They're going to know you by your online moniker, The Bodzilla. So tell me, how did The Bodzilla Instagram account come about? Great question. Uh, So I had a friend who is a photographer who commented about some of the stuff I'd been posting on my personal Instagram was like, I really love this. What a vibe. You should do this. Like you should make this a thing. And that was two years ago. And during that conversation, of course, um, then she was like, you know, you you could change your name and you could be like the, and she kept saying all these different words, boss, bod, babe, blah. And then she said, Bodzilla. I was like, stop, stop. That's it. We've got it. You've nailed it. And so um, it was my birthday. I was turning 35 and I decided because I love to sort of have momentous dates that go together. I'm all about universal timing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we did a photo shoot together, obviously. She's a photographer. And then, yeah, I changed my Instagram handle on that day and it's been two and a bit years and what a ride. Yeah. So tell me what the purpose was. You've told me how the name came about, but what were you trying to do with the Instagram account and who were you trying to speak to? I definitely felt like there was space for conversations about, I guess, bodies. You know, we see a lot of people who are accepting their flaws or identifying the things that they they love about themselves despite societies, whatever. But lots of those people don't look like me. They're, you know, still, they put on their jeans and their little tank top and out they go and nobody has anything to say about what they look like. That's not the case for me. And so the people that I wanted to speak to were people like me, who looked like me, who felt the way I did about the fact that actually also we can be okay with ourselves. People who don't necessarily have the the privilege of being able to get dressed and not, not really make that mark. People who are obviously different, especially in the case of, you know, one of the main things I talk about is smashing anti-fat biases and getting rid of the idea that, you know, fat equals certain other things, whether it's, you know, health related or whether it's, um, you know, your value, that kind of stuff. They're all lessons that I've learned about myself. And so I just kind of wanted to share that with people. So that was the, the purpose. And I felt like the name really gave that off because it felt like a little bit, you know, when we think about the monsters that body image kind of can be, I was like, well, then let's, let's get it you know king of the monsters let's go with queen of smashing body image biases and you know with a dash of sass 
Yes. I would say there's more than a dash of sass, actually. I feel like a dash is perhaps uh, underselling the degree of sass that is involved in your social media. I have been drawn to you for such a long time before we met socially. And I think it's a mixture of the colour and the vibrancy and the humour that you bring to what you're doing. Not only are you smart and sassy, as you say, and you've got an important message to send, but you do it in a way that maintains the fun. And I think there is a challenge on social media sometimes that we all take ourselves just a little bit too seriously all the time. Is that something you feel? Sure. And I think imposter syndrome plays a big part in the ways that we get really serious with ourselves at times because we think no one's going to take us seriously. And, you know, what we have to say, I think being able to balance the gravity of what we're saying with the levity of kind of being able to go, but like, it's not that deep, I think is really important because we don't want people to spend so much time online feeling down about stuff, right? And you already come to uh, online spaces with feelings about yourself. You want to be uplifted, but sometimes there has to be reality behind the uplifting message, which is, yay, like really happy that we feel good about ourselves. Like don't let other people get left behind in that, in that acceptance and that positivity. So sometimes I feel like I take it seriously when I don't see people resonating with what I've said. I'm like, am I wrong? But you have to realize sometimes that just because you feel or think something and share it online, not everyone's going to see it. Not everyone's going to relate to it. Knowing that you're not for everyone, but trying to just be yourself authentically and hoping that other people will get where you're coming from is kind of the best you can really do. The internet is not always a very nice place to be. (laughs) How, How do you deal with the inevitable criticism that comes with putting your opinions and your ideas and your body out there on the internet? I have actually been so lucky. I think because I'm a naturally optimistic person. I tell, I tell people that a lot because when people do come with criticism, uh, for however many people do that, there's 30 people who are coming with, thank you so much. You helped me today. I read something you wrote. It made me feel good about myself. I bought a swimsuit today because you did something, you know, I had a a campaign that was focused around returning to the beach and not being afraid of that. And I'm, I kind of just go, why am I going to listen to the haters when all of these lovers are here in my DMs being so sweet and wonderful? So part of that is about me just always wanting to see the best in people on the bright side and go people who put out these negative messages, whether it's into your DMs, whether they're commenting something rubbish, whether they're in the comment sections of a Facebook post talking about you, because I feel like that's where the real bad times happen. I kind of go, is that a me problem or a you problem? I Mm. like, I feel fine. If you have so much energy to spend on talking about me or saying something mean to me, I, I mean, I feel sorry for you. (laughs) I love that. I uh, saw that you'd written somewhere that if you want to be in a bikini, you shouldn't have to write an essay saying how much you love yourself just because you're bigger, that you can just do that. Yeah. That you can just take the action rather than have, I don't know, some long fraught conversation about it first. Talk to me about the standards that the beauty industry, that the media has around what women should look like and what is considered beautiful and how they've played out in your life. Because you're an incredibly confident woman, Did you start that way? 
I think I've always been, you know, I was always that kid that was like performing and out there. So I've certainly had a level of confidence and being outgoing that I think people would perceive as, you know, extroversion is often not confused with, but conflated with confidence. Whereas sometimes you just can't help but be big and loud, even if you're inside feeling like, oh, stop paying attention to me, which is not me. I'm I'm all about attention. Um, so I think that I probably felt those standards more so in how people would sort of vocalise what they thought about me. Oh, April, you've got such a beautiful face. You should become a model. Or you just you just have to lose weight. And then when plus size models became a thing, they were like, oh, see, look, now there's a, like there's an opening for you. You'll be able to be a model now because they're, they're doing plus size modelling. I'm kind of like, uh, okay. So I've always had those conversations. I've been working recently with the Butterfly Foundation um, on their campaign, The Next 20, to talk about increasing awareness of the help that's available for people who live with eating disorders. And that's relevant for me because one of the things that the beauty standards across media did to me was make me think that I had to change and shrink and be different and what could I eat and how many calories and all of that stuff, you know. And I think for most people they will probably feel and, and relate to that feeling of magazine covers that told them these 10 secrets to being the certain perfect body shape and size. There's just no such thing as perfect. And when we realise that, which sadly mostly only happens for us later in life, then that's such a freeing thing. And I think that making a stand against beauty ideals, but also enjoying what media can do to help us be less focused on what we look like and more about what good we're bringing to the world. Do you think that being a woman of colour meant that thinking about what was and what isn't considered acceptable beauty by other people's standards was made more complex? Absolutely, because the only representations we really saw of women of colour were beautiful black women, but they were so beautiful, breathtaking. You couldn't even comprehend. It was like, you know, Grace Jones and Tyra Banks, Naomi Campbell, and again, I couldn't really relate to those people physically. And so I think as a woman of colour in today's world, what I'm seeing is people who look like me every day. And part of that is because I've curated my feed to include people who are out there representing different everything, different body, hair, face, skin, blah. Um, and also because I've actively removed things that make me feel bad from, from my online feed. That is the most simplest of actions and yet it is genuinely a revolutionary thing to do. I, I did the same thing about two years ago, decided I was no longer going to follow people who made me feel bad, yeah. which seems sort of obvious. I'm not sure why I was following people that made me feel bad and instead follow people that inspired me and excited me and made me pumped up about life and the world instead. And it genuinely has shifted my mood. I don't think I realised beforehand just how much the accounts on social media that I was following that were so heavily curated and digitally altered actually were impacting how happy I was. Absolutely. I know that we've seen time and time again people talking about what they're seeing in certain like spaces of like you talked about digital alteration and that's such a massive thing but spaces especially like fashion and beauty where the standard has always been to airbrush to just perfect everything and that idea that you would because we we all conditioned to love and look at certain people or industries and go oh it's supposed to look a certain way and that's the entire thing isn't it that when we realise, oh, that actually makes me feel bad about myself, and it's not because those pe- necessarily that there's any malice behind the purpose of what they're doing, it's more that they too live within these 
cultural standards of, okay, we're going to take your photo and then when you see this photo, it will look nothing like it looked on the day and you'll also have to get okay with that because this is what we're presenting as you. And so I think that's probably why, you know, paparazzi photos versus the studio images that we see of people that we know from um, in the, who are in the public eye, I'm sure they look at those and go, is that what I look like? Because they don't even know anymore. And so, yeah, I, I love following people who are real. And that's not about necessarily, um, you know, saying that what people who have digitally altered images on their feeds are fake, but knowing, being able to know and look at that and go, oh, that's not real. So I feel fine. You are a mum to a little boy. How do you talk about bodies with your kid? Because I think that's an incredibly complex and fraught area to dive into. I'm, I'm the mother of a, a son also, and I often find myself reading books to him where there's language in the book that describes someone as fat and it's a ne- it has a negative connotation. And I'm like, how do I unpack this with him in a way that says this is a word that doesn't have a negative connotation but at the same time not say to him you don't call people that because then it sounds like I'm reinforcing that the word fat is an insult. I feel like I'm expressing myself terribly. Do you know what I mean? I totally do know what you mean. I actually was talking about, I was um, recording some stories while he was in the room and saying the word fat. And he said, he sort of said to me, mom, did you just say fat? We shouldn't say that. I was like, who told you that? Because my thing is I want to, there's no escaping the fact that when your child leaves the house, they're being influenced by anyone else they interact with. There's nothing I can do. I can't simply apply a blanket rule of like, that's not true. Because some people will say that it is and if I try to turn that conversation into oh no that's not right that person's wrong it's going to be really confusing what we have to do and I mean my child's turning five this year so very much developing the understanding of language but very much able to understand the difference between you know when when I say we don't say things like that or we don't talk about people's bodies what that really means and so I try to talk about the fact that Uh, Or, you know, I think it's okay to talk about people and describe them. You know, if I'm describing myself, I don't necessarily use those describing words because I don't think they're the most important things about me. I have green hair. I wear big earrings. I have a big smile. I have a loud voice. And so I try to, anytime that physicality is involved in the conversation, I try to keep it really neutral. I try to keep that, you know, that tightness in your throat when you feel like, oh, I know that that, ugh, like that gives me a feeling. If you hear a child being like, oh, that person's fat or that person's, you know, ugly or like, you know, using words that we just don't use as adults to describe other people. I try to just be really neutral and be like, oh, yes, um, yes, there's a, there's a fat person and there's a this person and a person with brown hair, a person who uses a wheelchair. Like just trying to be really factual yeah. about describing people you know if we're going to use adjectives we use them we use them consistently and that means not not saying them in as a way to you know because also I think when we when we omit those things we're still saying like don't say it like don't say it and then it's still creating a feeling so I think trying to be as neutral and factual as possible and really trying to check yourself as well how are you talking about yourself 
how are you talking about other people? I mean, why are you talking about other people? But that's another story. Um, uh, when my child says to me, oh, you have a fat belly. I like to play it like a drum as a demonstration of like, yeah, good for me. I'm, ha- I'm happy about it. Um, or to say, yeah, you don't have a big belly. You have a little belly and I have a big belly and whatever. And, and his response to that is, one day I'll have a big belly when I'm a grown up. I was like, <laughs> if you Just want. Give me some time. Yeah, give that's right. And some Easter eggs. No, I love that because I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who is a disabled woman and I have had occasions where I've used that descriptor about myself, which, as you say, is a factual descriptor and had people say, oh, don't, don't talk about yourself like that. Yeah. I think it is an uncomfortable space to sit and go, I didn't insult myself. I didn't say, oh, I'm a bit shit. I, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't trying to be rude about myself. I was, I was yeah. being factual. Yes, and we all know that that you, you say like I like to tell people I'm a hot fat bitch. That's my thing because for so long it was you know that would be a go to insult. Someone would say yeah. oh, you fat, you fat bitch. I'm like yeah, I am a hot fat bitch. And so people go oh you're not fat you're beautiful. Mm, I'm both. I those things are yeah. not mutually exclusive. These two exclusive. things can coexist. Exactly right. And also I think exactly what you said when someone tries to police what you're saying about yourself, you're like, so, okay, you're really telling me what you think right now. You're really showing me that your perception of people who, in this example, are disabled, that I should either be ashamed or that, like, you don't perceive me that way because you don't acknowledge my disability. Like, what is it? Because none of it's good. (laughs) April, I uh, remember you posing for a swimsuit company called Curvy Swimwear. And I remember seeing a billboard of you in a swimsuit looking incredible. What I didn't know until I, I want to say did some research, until I did a lot of Googling about you, mate, (laughs) was that you were the first plus size model to appear in a swimsuit on a billboard in this country. And that was very recently. Is that true? First fat bikini babe, 2021. Wow. Yeah. it's. I mean, yes, we've seen fat people on billboards before um, and I think that that's great and I think that I can't possibly imagine what it's going to be like if we give it another 10 years. If, if yeah. I'm working as hard as I'm working now for the next 10 years, I expect that we, you know, that we will regularly see and be completely unfazed by the appearance of fat people, disabled people, trans people, all the people on billboards wearing whatever they like or nothing at all. I don't know, whatever. As someone who's a light-skinned woman of colour, a fat person, you know, all of the different things that I am, um, I'm just one iteration of the kind of awesome representation that can be in the media if we just let it be. When you were doing that photo shoot, when you were working with, you know, stylists, photographers, whoever else is on the photo shoot with you, was there a sense of, oh, my gosh, this hasn't, been done before this is 2021 and this is this is new what we're what we're working on today Absolutely. So our mutual friend, Jez, was the person who photographed me. And so that was actually something that he remarked. He was like, darling, with his lovely English accent that I can't do. He was like, I can't believe that you're the first, but you know, I can believe it. And I can't believe it at the same time. Everything he's done in his career, you know, he's, he's always said, I see this beauty and I see women of all shapes, colors and sizes being beautiful. And I just love to capture that. And he was the most wonderful support and the perfect person to have on that shoot because it was 
frightening. Like, of course, I looked like I was having a jolly old time pretty much the whole time, but it was terrifying. I think, you know, there wasn't a second that went past that I wasn't like, oh, my God, what is happening right now? But at the same time, it was one of the best experiences of my whole life. Oh, I love hearing that so much. And uh, Jess Smith is an extraordinary photographer. I'm so glad you got the opportunity to work with him because you two created some magic together. When you look forward, where do you see this going? Because you are someone who, I don't want to use all the Instagram cliches, right? But like, you haven't been doing this for very long. Your social media presence has grown very, very fast. You've gone from being someone who is fabulous in your own life to suddenly being fabulous in front of a lot of people. And I'm guessing you're going to be fabulous in front of a lot more people as we go forward. Where do you see it going? My hope is that I can reach more people and I suppose that can only be done by continuing to, you know, put what I'm what I'm saying out there and hope that I get the opportunity to keep doing it. Where do I see it going? I mean, the sky's the limit. I think wherever someone's willing to offer me an opportunity and I can take it, then is that the cover of a magazine? Is that on TV? Is it another billboard? Is it, what is it? I'm willing to do it and I'm willing to be there and I'm willing to show up. And I have always been someone who will put themselves out there to make other people feel comfortable, whether that's, you know, in any situation, I, uh, even as a child, I might be the person who put my hand up and ask the teacher a question because the person next to me was too scared to, to ask. I want to be that person. I have always felt that I wanted to do something special with my life and I think I found what it is. So I'm committed to doing this for as long as anyone's willing to listen to me. So um, what's next? Who knows? Something good, I hope. April, thank you for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Thanks for having me. That's it for my conversation with the fabulous April. You can follow her at The Bodzilla across all the social medias. I particularly like her form on Instagram. Don't go away. The weekend list is coming up. Bron is here and it is weekend list time. We have got you covered. If you feel like watching, listening, reading, doing all the cultural stuff this weekend, we've got some suggestions for you. Bron is going to go first. What have you been doing, mate? What have you been up to? So last weekend, we went to a friend's house. We played this card game called Monikers, which is just the most fun if you've got a big group of friends. And I guess there's nothing worse than people explaining how to play a game, but I'll try and <laughs> I'll try and do <laughs> there it. There is nothing worse. It's not fun for the whole family. I will say that it's kind of in the same category as Cards Against Humanity, where it's a okay. bit more rude and crude. I guess some of the cards play with your friends, not your nana. Exactly. So there's a bunch of cards with different like phrases or words on them. It's kind of like the game Taboo, where you're tr- you can just say anything but the word on the card. Second round, you can only say one word, so you're playing with the same amount of cards. And then the third round, you can only do charades. Okay, I like it. Difficult to explain on a podcast, but trust me, it is fun. Once you get your head around it, it makes the night really enjoyable and everyone can get amongst it and a good icebreaker for people who don't know each other. I bloody love a board game or a card game. I don't care if it's uncool. Love it. And I really appreciate that recommendation. Thank you so much, my friend. I am going to recommend... Queer Eye Germany. Oh my God, you guys. It's so good. It's on Netflix at the moment. If you're someone like me and when a new Queer Eye comes out, you watch all the episodes in one day and then you're mad at yourself because you watched all the episodes in one day and you didn't space them out. This is a good way to get your Queer Eye fix. The Germans do Queer Eye very, very well. I'm already uh, quite attached to a couple of the Fab Five and there are some truly beautiful episodes. I've just finished one, which was about a young woman who has a congenital heart condition that affects 
affected all of her family. It's revealed in the first few minutes that she has lost both her mum and dad and all of her siblings to the same condition. She's 18. So if anyone deserves a ridiculous fun makeover, it's her. And yes, this show is light and silly and frothy and bubbly and commercial, but there is so much heart that is underneath all of that stuff. And I am so deeply invested in the German series. Highly recommend it. Oh, I need to get amongst that. I've got a random one for you now. So Medjool dates. Yeah, like the food. The food. (laughs) I just discovered them a couple days ago. I've chowed through the whole box. Um, They're so yum. They're fresh. Keep them in the fridge. They're better than normal dates. So true. Normal dates are a bit dry. These ones are juicy. They taste a bit like caramel. I'm sure there's health benefits I don't know about. I'm sure there's antioxidants or something, something. There's something in there. I don't know. They're delicious. Anyway, you just need to find a box. I'm pretty sure they're at all local supermarkets. I just, you know, it was like, "Mm, I'm going to pick these up. I've never thought about it before and I don't regret it. So get amongst it. That is the best recommendation of the entire weekend briefing. Folks, I'm going to round you out with something more traditional. Anatomy of a Scandal is the TV show that has replaced Bridgerton season two as the number one ranking uh, series on Netflix at the moment. It is a limited series. It's only six episodes, but it has some very impressive actors in it. Sienna Miller, Michelle Dockery, Rupert Friend is in it. It has become the most watched title in the English-speaking world very, very, very quickly. Apparently, it's in the top 10 in 89 countries at the moment. It is really good. It follows a couple called Sophie and James. James is a powerful politician. He is the Minister for Immigration when the series start. Sophie is his privileged wife. They have a seemingly perfect life. It is revealed very quickly that James has in fact had an affair, but it goes deeper than that. There is far more complexity to James's affair and it becomes a real exploration, I suppose, of the kind of the Me Too era and uh, women in workplaces standing up for themselves uh, when it comes to inappropriate behaviour. It looks at the stereotypes that we put on women who call out sexual harassment and abuse and it looks at those tricky lines around consent that the law itself is still struggling with. It is so bingeable and watchable. There are a couple of plot holes, but you can just kind of skate on over them because it's six episodes, just push through. It's really fun. We'd like to ask you a few questions. There's been an accusation. This case should never have been brought. It's things that we felt. I said the accused barrister. I think you should publicly distance yourself from White House. Why? Because the behaviour of entitled toffs is something the public no longer finds cute. That's it for the weekend list and that's it for the weekend briefing for this week. Thank you for your company. We really do appreciate you spending your weekends with us. If you would like to make sure that you never miss an episode of the weekend briefing or indeed the weekday briefing, then you should find us on the listener app or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a really lovely rating or review. It will absolutely make my day. We will be back with you bright and early on Monday morning where Tom and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.